The Seahawks have had three picks in the top 75 four times previously under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. I'll be explaining why that could be a good omen for the Seahawks as they head into the 2022 NFL Draft with four top 75 picks here on today's latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, riding solo today for our Thursday episode. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We are officially one week away from the 2022 NFL Draft. Pete Carroll and John Schneider, as they do every year, had their annual pre-draft press conference on Thursday. I'll be breaking down some thoughts on their comments from the press conference, plus some predictions from you, the valued listeners, on what is going to transpire in Las Vegas next week when we get to the draft. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Pete Carroll and John Schneider are generally pretty optimistic people, and they exude energy and exude passion in their work. But even for their standards on Thursday, they were on a little bit of a different level, and some fans might not have expected that considering how difficult of an offseason that it has been for the Seahawks, trading away your star quarterback, Russell Wilson, releasing Bobby Wagner to create $16 million in salary cap space, and potentially not going to have Dwayne Brown back as well on the offensive line. A lot of turnover, truly the end of the best era in Seahawks football, and now they're moving into a new era, and the general sense has been from John Schneider and Pete Carroll that this team is not going to be going through a long rebuild. They expect to be competitive and able to win football games in 2022. Many are skeptical about that given the state of the roster right now. But John Schneider had some interesting comments today conjuring up some parallels between where the Seahawks are at now and where they were a decade ago going into the 2012 season. Take a listen. Exciting times, you know, we have, uh, we currently have eight picks. We have four in the top 72. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a real excitement about that and, and, and an enthusiasm. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I work out all the time, but I was getting a workout in yesterday morning watching TV. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, the NFC West and all the problems that everybody has and everything. And I don't know, it just brought me back to this energy of, like a, you know, the 2012 draft when, you know, we we overdrafted a pass rusher and we we drafted a linebacker that didn't have any instincts and you know we drafted a quarterback that didn't, you know, fit the height mold and we overdrafted a nickelback and we overdrafted a third down back and you know we converted a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman who is still playing for those who are keeping track or was last year but um, you know. Uh, it just then afterwards, right? Everybody giving us Fs, and but the, the the message is that in this building we were super excited. We knew where we were headed, you know. Pete um, and his staff had a great plan. Um, it was loaded with competition, and, and and we're excited to see that competition. Really interesting comments from Schneider because there are some parallels, and I'll dive into those here in a minute. When you look at 2012 versus this current Seahawks team and where they're at, there certainly are some parallels, but. Schneider kept going back to the energy that is currently in the building. Now, some of that just has to be with the fact that 
it's more normal now. You don't have to wear masks in the facility. They have a lot of their people that were off the facility for the last two years because of COVID. They have returned to the building. And so that by itself is a pick-me-up. But he just kept going back to it time and time again today that it was a refreshing mood in the building. And you can take that for whatever's worth, but this fresh start, having this slate with four top 75 draft picks to work with, it does have John Schneider and Pete Carroll genuinely excited for this upcoming season, for this draft, and being able to build this roster back up. Looking at where the Seahawks were at in 2012, you can obviously point out the clear differences. That team was already featuring a number of young foundational pieces, particularly on defense. Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, K.J. Wright, and Earl Thomas had all been drafted in the previous two drafts. So they had that foundation already on defense, and they just needed a couple more pieces. And then on the offensive side of the football, they had their running back in Marshawn Lynch. They liked their offensive line a lot. They had a few solid receivers. They had a tight end in Zach Miller that they really liked. What they were missing was the quarterback, and they ended up signing Matt Flynn. And I think this has been one of the more overblown storylines in Seahawks history. People talk about all the money that was wasted on Matt Flynn. His cap hit that year was just a little over 3% of Seattle's cap. It's not like this was a massive contract by any means. Russell Wilson gets drafted in the third round, ends up beating him out, and we know the rest is history. Takes the Seahawks to the playoffs eight times in 10 years, two Super Bowls, they win one of them. And the Seahawks also had a big hole at middle linebacker. David Hawthorne, one of the more underrated linebackers the Seahawks have ever had, signed a four-year, $19 million deal with the Saints, So he was leaving town. They needed a new middle linebacker. Bobby Wagner, like Russell Wilson, comes in, starts right away, and he's an eight-time All-Pro in his 10 seasons with the Seahawks. You look at where Seattle's at now. They need both positions because they are moving on from Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. They need a new franchise quarterback. They need a linebacker in the middle next to Jordan Brooks, especially they're going to be running a 3-4 defense. You're going to need two really solid off-ball linebackers. So – That is certainly a parallel when you compare where that team was at going into the 2012 season. They needed some pass rushing help as well, hence the pick of Bruce Irvin in the first round. There are a lot of parallels from a roster standpoint, but they don't have the ascending young talent on this team that that team did. They don't have Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, K.J. Wright, some of the young offensive linemen that they had on that football team. The Seahawks have some young players that are intriguing right now, but recent drafts have not yielded as much talent. So this is a team that has more of a bear cupboard, so to speak, away from quarterback and linebacker. They have a lot more holes that they need to fill. They also have that $26 million dead cap hit from trading Russell Wilson. Now, that'll be off the books next year. So I would make the argument that where this team is at right now actually is closer when paralleling it to the 2011 team And I think that you're going to see a lot of things play out that are very similar with how things looked then. Really, after they won the division at 7-9 and in 2010, and Matt Hasselbeck and Beast Mode end up uh, winning in uh, that wild card game against the Saints, that huge upset over the defending champions, the next year, that was really the year that John Schneider and Pete Carroll shuffled the deck. They had an incredible offseason of turnover, and that included changing quarterbacks. Matt Hasselbeck was gone. They brought in Tavares Jackson and Charlie Whitehurst to compete for the starting quarterback job. Neither one of them was going to be the long-term guy. 
that's kind of where the Seahawks are at right now with Geno Smith and Drew Locke, maybe Jacob Eason, if they bring in Baker Mayfield. That's the situation that they are in. Now, if they draft a quarterback, then maybe they are truly viewing this like 2012. And we like a lot of the roster that we have on both sides of the ball to already be built around a young quarterback. But that 2011 team, they were still building the foundation. And in that draft, they went out and they got Richard Sherman and added a few other pieces on both sides of the football that were key contributors when they got to the Super Bowl a few years later. I could view this year's draft being the same way as it was in 2011, where they're getting those foundational pieces and maybe they don't draft a quarterback early. And then next year you can go get that quarterback if somehow Drew Locke or Dino Smith or Baker Mayfield, whatever they choose to do, doesn't end up being a solid option or shows they can be a long-term option. You would think Seattle is going to draft a quarterback in the next two years. They're going to have to. But nonetheless, I think you can see some parallels to 2012. I think you can also see some 2011. All of these, when you're looking at different years in team history, it is like comparing apples to oranges in a lot of ways. And the CBA has changed as well, and that changes the dynamic. But you can certainly see why John Schneider and Pete Carroll are excited, and you can see why they're drawing some of these comparisons because they feel like with those four picks they've got in the top 75, they have the ammunition to be able to quickly restock this roster with young talent and be able to compete this year and be an ascending team going into 2023. And if you're a Seahawks fan, that's exactly what you're hoping happens. If you miss on a bunch of those picks, it could set you back and you could be down in the cellar for several years running. You might have a new general manager and a new coach this time next year. But John Snyder and Pete Carroll are confident they're going to be able to avoid that. And so it's interesting looking at where the team was then and where it's at now, and realizing that in a lot of ways there are similarities. And if the Seahawks are able to hit on a bunch of these picks and they're able to take advantage of their scouting and that high draft capital they've got, they could surprise some people this next season. And that's what John Steiner and Pete Carroll have been saying for the last month and a half. They believe that they are going to be able to do that, and they're excited for the opportunity to rebuild this roster. The NFL Draft is officially going to be here one week from now, and rather than do our weekly mailbag segment, I had you, the listener, send in some predictions for what you think is going to happen during draft weekend. We got some really awesome ones. We got some way out there predictions as well. I mean, heck, I had a dream last year Dwayne Eskridge got drafted and it came true. So sometimes crazy things happen during draft weekend. I'm going to be looking at a number of those submissions when we look at predictions here in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Blue Nile with Mother's Day coming up right around the corner. Whether she prefers a statement piece or everyday subtle elegance, BlueNile.com has fine jewelry options for every mom. Shop high quality classic diamond earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, or gemstone pendant necklaces. Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, and they're available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift that fits into every budget. This Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off $500 spend. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day. Use the code Locked On. That's code Locked On. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. One week from now, 
Locked on NFL Drafts live coverage, three days of real-time analysis from our extensive lineup of experts and insiders. For those of you that are dying to know who your team will pick, make sure to check out on Odyssey. The Locked on NFL Mock Draft Special is hosted by Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson of the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. They're going to be hosting that all week leading up to the first pick in Las Vegas we got one week until the NFL draft, seven days until the Jaguars are on the clock with pick number one, the Seahawks pick ninth after trading Russell Wilson to the Broncos. There is an excitement, as I'm just talking about. There's an excitement in the air that hasn't necessarily been in Seattle for quite some time because I guess one of the negatives, if you're winning a lot of football games and you're making the playoffs, you don't get high first round picks. So it has been a long time since the Seahawks had a top 10 selection they will be picking number nine. That'll be the first time they've had a pick inside the top 10 since John Schneider and Pete Carroll's first year way back in 2010. And since we are now one week away from the draft, usually on Thursday we do our weekly mailbag segment, but I decided with the draft coming up, let's switch it up a little bit. And I asked you, our valued listener, for some predictions on what is going to transpire during the NFL draft next weekend for the Seahawks. Like I said, crazy things happen. Last year, I had a dream about D. Eskert getting picked by the Seahawks the night before their first selection in round two, and then D. Eskridge got picked by them. So again, weird things happen during draft weekend, especially for the Seahawks, who have a propensity for throwing curveballs and picking players that nobody expects them to pick. And that's what makes trying to predict what they're going to do so challenging. So let's get to some of these predictions from our listeners the first one here from Nate in the air. The Seahawks don't draft a quarterback with their first three picks. I know if you've been listening to this show regularly, you know that I have been picking a quarterback pretty much every mock draft that I've had for the Seahawks. But I could easily see them decide, you know what? We're going to totally buy into the idea we can win with average quarterback play if we have a great defense and a great running game. I could see them decide we're going to stock up our offensive line. We're going to get a couple more pass rushers, go get ourselves another corner. Maybe we sign a safety like DeMonte Casey in free agency. And you know what, Geno Smith or Drew Locke, we're not going to put everything on your shoulders. We believe you can do enough if our running game is going and we're playing great defense for us to win games. I could see Pete Carroll and John Schneider deciding to do that, and it would be like 2011 instead of 2012. We're going to get the foundational pieces we need we will figure out quarterback next season. We think we can win with the guys we have now, though. We can be even better the next season if we can go out and get that rookie quarterback that we really want. I could see it happening. I would be leaning 60-40 that I think the Seahawks are going to pick a quarterback with one of those first four selections this year. Uh, but I think that it's certainly possible. They're not in love with any of those quarterbacks. Or if there's a run on those top five guys and they're gone before they're back on the board in the second round, then Seattle's probably not going to be trying to rush to draft somebody like a Carson Strong or uh, Western Kentucky's quarterback as well. I don't see Bailey Zappi being somebody they're going to be rushing to draft before middle of day three. So most likely if they don't get one of those first three rounds there, they could draft a quarterback late. But I would expect as far as franchise quarterback material, if they don't do it, in those first couple rounds, that would mean that they're going to be focusing on next draft to really fill that void. Next one here from Matt, Seahawks trade up with their third round pick into the late second round and take a pass rusher. This would be a very John Schneider type move. In fact, you look back at his history, 
moving back up into the third round to get Tyler Lockett back in the day, traded four draft picks to do that. Ended up being totally worth it, though. You got an all-pro returner and a guy that's now had several thousand-yard seasons as a receiver, one of the most underrated receivers in the league. And they also traded back into the second round a few times recently. They did it to get Daryl Taylor a couple years ago. They also did it back when Jaron Reed was drafted in 2016. They traded back up into the second round. They also did to get DK Metcalf. So that's actually been a pretty regular move for John Schneider. And I think a lot of times people always reference the trade downs that he has in the first round, but he trades up a lot in the draft too. He just likes to trade. He likes to move up and down the board. If he sees a player that he really likes that is available later than he thought he was going to be, then he could certainly package some picks and try to move up. And I think pass rusher would be a prime position to do that in the second round if they haven't already addressed it. Wyatt Hunter, the Seahawks pick twice in the first round. So this really leads back to the quarterback discussion. And I've talked about this a lot on our podcast. But let's say that the Seahawks really love Desmond Ritter. We know that he has had an independent uh, private top 30 visit with the Seahawks. If he somehow slips past the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 20, the Seahawks in their war room are going to have to have some very interesting conversations. Maybe they can trade up with the Green Bay Packers at number 22, John Schneider's former team. Maybe that he can make a deal to go up to 22 and get Desmond Ritter if there's another quarterback that they want. And the reason that I could see him doing that, for one, you don't know if they're going to fall to you at 40-41 in the second round. You don't want to take that risk. But second, and we've talked about this time and time again, but you get back in the first round, you get that fifth-year option, which is huge at the quarterback position. Because if you've seen the salaries that are getting paid out to these quarterbacks, if you've got a quality one, and a lot of teams are extending players before they get to that fifth-year option, but you at least want to have that available to you. If you have a player that is a good but not great quarterback, and he's good enough you think you can develop him into being a great quarterback, maybe you use that fifth-year option. It's going to be cheaper than signing a quarterback to a top-10 deal long-term is going to be. So having that fifth-year option I think is important at the quarterback position. You move up into the back part of the first round and you get your quarterback. So I don't know if it happens, but that might be a way that they get their QB and they end up with two first round selections. Andrew Pritchard, his prediction, the Seahawks will have to choose between Evan Neal, Derek Stingley, and an attractive trade down proposal. And I like this prediction here because I think John Schneider would be in a bit of a pickle there. If Evan Neal, the Alabama star tackle, falls to them, at number nine. I don't think that's going to happen. But let's say that it does. I've seen crazier things happen in the draft. If you've got a 6'7", 337 athletic tackle that started Alabama available to you at number nine, I think John Schneider is going to have a very hard time passing it up, especially when you consider right now their top two tackles are Stone Forsyth and Jay Curhan, who have five combined NFL starts under their belt. You can get a blue chip player there at number nine. It makes a lot of sense. Derek Stingley, could be a top five talent in this draft. There just are some question marks with him. He's had some health issues, has not played quite as well the last two years when he has been healthy. If you can get the freshman version of him at LSU, though, he could be a shutdown corner in the league, can play man and zone coverage, incredible athlete, great ball skills. So if Seattle wants to buck trends and draft a corner that early, he or Sauce Gardner could be worth the pick. Really, what this boils down to is what's your offer? Like, if the New Orleans Saints are offering 16 and 19 for you to trade back, you really can't turn that down. 
to get a second first round pick and get some extra flexibility with moving up and down the draft board. If you like your tackle, though, you take the best player available. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. And John Schneider's the one that is paid to make those choices. BK, his prediction, this might be one of the crazier ones. Seattle drafts defensive tackle Jordan Davis at number nine. I have learned never to be surprised by what John Schneider and Pete Carroll do when it comes to drafting certain positions. Now, you've got Al Woods, Puna Ford still under contract, Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson. Defensive tackle does not look like a need to me for the Seahawks, but Jordan Davis is an absolute freak at well over 330 pounds, running a sub 4-9 40-yard dash. You You don't see men that size that can move like that. He's a freak athlete. His pass rushing production was not there at Georgia, but he was getting double teamed a lot. This could be a case of a guy that ends up being a lot more productive in the NFL than college. There's not a lot of precedent for that with sacks when you're looking at defensive tackles, but his athleticism, uh, just his pure talent coming from a defense that was loaded with other stars. I think we've seen the power of a dominant defensive tackle for years, what Aaron Donald does. And I'm not saying Jordan Davis is the next Aaron Donald. He's a different style player, much bigger player, but he could be a menace for years to come in the NFC West. And so if you're looking for a best player available perspective and they have him at the top of their board, then go get him. I would not completely rule this out. I don't think it's as crazy as some listeners might believe. Andy Karsh, the Seahawks will trade down in the first round to draft someone that no one projected to the Seahawks. I don't even know if we should call this a prediction. Usually this is just what happens. I mean, and for better or worse, there have been times the Seahawks have traded down and the players that got ended up being really solid picks. And there have been times that it hasn't necessarily worked out for them. So, I think it's a safe prediction to make this pick because the Seahawks, like they said today, John Schneider mentioned, you know, we're drafting for our team needs. They're not basing this off of what the other team's draft boards look like. They have their own draft boards. They might have a guy they're much higher on than a lot of other teams are, and they might be willing to trade back. And if that guy's on the board, they'll go get him. And so that's part of the lack of predictability for the draft, especially when you get outside the first five, 10 picks, it becomes chaos after that point. Really difficult to figure out who's going to go where. So I think if they trade down, it definitely makes it more likely that they could throw that curveball that they like to throw and pick somebody that nobody's thought of. You know, maybe they go for a pass rusher that nobody's been giving first round grades like they did with Bruce Irvin. Maybe it's Sam Williams out of Ole Miss this year, or maybe it's somebody like Arnold Ebicady out of Penn State who's only gotten a little bit of first round bust. Who knows what the Seahawks are going to do? And that's what's going to make this such a fascinating draft, as is every year, but you've got the high draft picks now. That makes it all the more intriguing. And the last one here, I saved the best one for last here. This one is coming from Darren T. The Seahawks are going to shock the world and pick Kyle Hamilton, the safety, out of Notre Dame, and then they're going to trade Jamal Adams for a second-round pick. I'm going to say this right now, Darren. If your prediction comes true, and it has to be all of it, Kyle Hamilton getting drafted and Jamal Adams getting traded. If that happens, I will donate $200 to the organization, the charity of your choice. I'm just putting, you know, and I will do it immediately because I just don't see this happening. But maybe you've got a crystal ball and we've seen some crazy things happen on draft weekend. But again, if Kyle Hamilton gets picked by the Seahawks and Jamal Adams gets traded, for a second round pick or just trade it in general, I will gladly fork over $200 to whatever charity 
that you choose. So keep that in mind, Darren, and uh, we'll see what happens on draft weekend. As I mentioned earlier, the Seahawks, for the fifth time under John Schneider and Pete Carroll, are going to have at least three top 75 picks. That could be a good omen heading into this draft if you look at past precedent. I'm going to be breaking that down here in a moment in our third quarter. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting, stats, and sports informational needs. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports and wagering informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. Riding solo today, I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. As I mentioned earlier on the podcast, and I've talked about this extensively here on our show, pretty much all of draft season since the Russell Wilson trade went down, the Seahawks have four picks in the top 75. This is actually the first time since John Snyder and Pete Carroll arrived that they have had four picks inside the top 75. There have been four earlier instances where they've had three picks inside the top 75. And interestingly, in all four of those cases, they got at least one dynamic playmaking talent. And in several of those cases, they got multiple game-changing talents. You go back to 2010, it's interesting. That was the only other time the Seahawks had a top 10 pick, too. They had two picks inside the top 15. They also had a late second rounder. The Seahawks were able to get Earl Thomas, Russell Okung, and Golden Tate. All three were key contributors for their Super Bowl championship team in 2013. Tate got off to kind of a slow start. He was a mid-level receiver, got limited reps his rookie season, was better known for his special team's ability. But he really took off once Russell Wilson arrived in 2012. His last two seasons put up some pretty darn good numbers and an offense that was predicated on running the football. Didn't get as many chances that he would have, as he would have, say, in other offenses. Later in his career in Detroit, got a big free agent contract. He put up some of those big numbers, catching passes from Matthew Stafford. But early on in his career, it took some time. Russell Okung and Earl Thomas, they were both starters on day one. Earl Thomas had five interceptions as a rookie. Now, he got beat sometimes. His aggressiveness ended up hurting him at times in the secondary, and he had to learn from those experiences. But by the time he was his second season, he was already getting all pro nods. And so really got off to a fast start in his career, became one of the best safeties in his generation. Russell Okung never was able to quite reach his potential because he got hurt a lot. He dealt with a lot of injuries, but he was a pro bowler. He started for the Seahawks for six years. He started both of their Super Bowls. So that was still a pretty successful pick. Maybe not as much as they hoped being a top six selection, but you still had a top 10 left tackle when he was healthy and he gave them a lot of valuable snaps, contributed to some of the best teams in Seahawks history. So all three of those guys were key cogs of that Super Bowl run in 2013. Two of them were on the team the year after that. That's a pretty darn good first draft for John Schneider and Pete Carroll. The next time the Seahawks had three picks in the top 75 is one of the greatest drafts in NFL history. And John Schneider was talking about it today, hoping that this year is going to be 2012 all over again. Nobody was viewing it as a great draft, though, when it ended. You reached to get Bruce Irvin in the first round. He shouldn't have gone that high in the draft. 
Then you picked Bobby Wagner, a linebacker, as, as Schneider said today, with no instincts. So, uh, that's That doesn't make sense in the second round. Why did you go there? A smaller school player at Utah State. And then the third round, a five foot eleven, generously listed five foot eleven quarterback in Russell Wilson. He won't be able to see over the line. He's never going to be anything more than a backup. Two of those players, yes, they're now going to be playing for other teams, but Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson already have a foot in the door to be Hall of Fame talents. Bruce Irvin has had a pretty darn good career, maybe not as successful as Wagner and Wilson, and he's never had a double-digit sack season, but he was still playing last year. I mean, he's had a long career in the NFL, had a number of seasons where he finished with seven-plus sacks, had a couple of years where he got interceptions, showed he could be that hybrid linebacker in Seattle scheme, playing that strong side linebacker position. So that was not a busted pick. Bruce Irvin was another guy that gave them valuable contributions for their two Super Bowl teams. And so that was another draft, that 2012. I, th I think you can put the Seahawks 2012 draft up against any draft that a team has ever had in terms of value. When you look at the fact that they got Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner both on day two, they got a starting offensive lineman in Jeremy uh, in J.R. Sweezy in the seventh round. Jeremy Lane, they got earlier than that. He was a really good special teams player, started a few years in the slot. That was just a loaded draft class for the Seahawks. It's one of the best in terms of value in NFL history. The last two times the Seahawks have had three picks in the top 75, they haven't unearthed any future Hall of Famers. At least at this point, it doesn't look like it. But they've gotten some good players. And you look at the 2019 draft, there was a big gap. So from 2013 to 2018, none of those drafts, they had three picks in the top 75. 2019, they actually had two first-round picks. This is probably the – it is the worst draft of the four that they've had three top 75 selections. They picked LJ Collier at number 29, and to this point, that has been a busted pick. He was a healthy scratch seven games last year, played his way out of the rotation and training camp. Who knows what his fourth season is going to hold? Maybe this new scheme, they'll find a better position and he'll be able to produce more. Maybe he can have a resurgence like Rashad Penny had last season, but to this point, that has been a busted pick for them. And Marquise Blair, their second-round pick, who they had acquired after they traded down multiple times with one of their first-round picks, has shown flashes, but he's been hurt a bunch. Missed most of last season and the year before with significant knee injuries. And so until he can stay healthy, again, similar to Rashad Penny, maybe this year you can see him play as he's capable of. But to this point, hasn't been able to really carve out a role on defense because he has not been able to stay healthy. But taking those two picks out of the equation, the Seahawks had a pretty darn good selection at number 64. They traded back up to 64 and drafted DK Metcalf, who was supposed to be a first-round pick and somehow fell all the way to the back half of the second round. If there's a player out of these last two draft classes that could be a Hall of Famer, DK Metcalf is such a specimen, such a physical freak, being 6'3", 230 pounds, running a 4-3-3, his ability to take the top off of defense, the production that he's had his first three seasons. Only six other receivers have put up similar numbers in their first three seasons in NFL history. So DK Metcalf might be on that track, although having a change at quarterback is going to certainly uh, have the potential to impact his numbers from a negative standpoint the next few years. Nonetheless, he has been fantastic. So another big hit for John Schneider in one of those top 75 picks. And then in 2020, this is really the wild card of these because it's only been a few years ago. Daryl Taylor, their second round pick, they traded up to get him. 
missed his entire rookie season. Last year, though, he had six and a half sacks, and I think he has the talent to be a double-digit sack guy. If you get that out of him in 2022 and he emerges as your best pass rushing option and a real threat to get after the quarterback, then suddenly this 2020 draft is looking pretty good because Jordan Brooks got an all-pro vote last year. He led the team, 184 tackles, a new franchise record, showed improvements in the second half in coverage and blowing up screens. It seems like he's just starting to scratch the surface of his potential. That first all-pro vote could be the first of many for him. And he could take the torch from Bobby Wagner as the next all-pro linebacker in Seattle. And in the third round, the other top 75 pick for Seattle in that class, Damian Lewis had injuries last year. I don't think he was healthy the entire season. So he didn't play near as well as he did his rookie year when he was an all-rookie team selection by the Pro Football Writers Association. But this is a really good football player when he's healthy. I think he gets an offseason here to get his body right and get his confidence back. And this will be his second season at left guard, too. Have to remember, he moved from right guard to left guard last year. That was a significant switch. He's going to be a lot more comfortable with that position this year. I'm expecting a big bounce back from him. This is a kid that I think still has Pro Bowl potential at left guard, especially if they become more of a run-first offense. That is the strength of his game. He is a mauler. He is a great run blocker. So that gives him an opportunity to really reach his potential. So you could have three players there that have Pro Bowl or better upside that you draft in those first 75 picks. So you look at the past precedent. Obviously, those past drafts have no bearing on what the Seahawks do this year. But that is a big enough sample size. You're talking about four drafts that the Seahawks, 2019 being the only one, and they still got DK Metcalf in that draft, but that's the only one where they really didn't knock the draft out of the park with those early round selections. The other three times... Even 2020, they've had some injuries with that group, but there's a lot of upside in that group. You've got some guys that could be real foundational blocks for their next contender here in Seattle. So if that past precedent holds for this year with four picks in the top 75, potentially more than that if they work around the draft board with some trade downs, then that is a great chance for this team. This is why John Schneider and Pete Carroll are so excited the chance to be able to rebuild this roster. It is right there in front of them, and this is a deep talented draft class, especially at position groups, aside from quarterback, where they have big needs on their roster. It's a great linebacker class. It's a pretty solid tackle class. It's a top-heavy group at center, but you get some good centers. There are some good receivers. It's a really good running back class. You could look at some corners as well. It's a deep cornerback group. So this is the draft class to be able to really stock the roster with good young talent, and they have the draft capital to do it. Past precedent shows that John Schneider and Pete Carroll can hit on these picks. We'll see what happens once we get there next week. But fans should be cautiously optimistic. I know there have been some drafts that have not gone well in recent years for the Seahawks. But where they've really struggled has been after 75. That 75 to 100 window, they have not been able to hit on those picks. But top 75 picks, generally John Schneider has a very high hit rate in these drafts where he has multiple selections that are in the top 75. So that's a good omen for the Seahawks as they head into the as they head into this year's draft and they aim to get this team right back into contention and build another potential NFC title contender in coming years. As always, thanks for listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee is going to be coming on, and he's going to be grading Rob and I's first five draft picks in our dual mock draft. Plus, we're going to be playing a little over and under NFL draft style game day on Blue Friday. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.